Thank you, Gary. Thank you, church, for uh, the invitation to be here. Thank you for your uh, fellowship in Christ. And um, I don't know, Gary, whether those hours we've spent this weekend have been countless, but they have been late. That much I know. <laughs> we've stayed up past bedtime and uh, visited, uh, visited for quite some time and enjoyed every minute of it, uh, despite the fact that we all ate too much. But uh, the visiting has been, has been fantastic. <clears throat> Buy the truth. Don't sell it. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. I don't know whether you've ever taken time to analyze that verse, to sit down and uh, study it carefully. I don't know what those of you that teach or preach have uh, looked at this verse. Uh, it's a perfect outline for uh, a discussion of our attitude toward the scripture. There are some points here that, uh, uh, that are worth our time and consideration. We want to talk this morning about that truth. The, uh, I'm going to have to get used to working two different buttons here because my, I, I work off a computer and this one isn't connected. Where are we here? Let me see if I can... Did that go? That's not going. You told me to push the orange button, and I don't see anything happening. It's not turned on. Push the on switch first, and then push the orange button. There you go. Got it. Okay. Very good. The psalmist wrote in the 14th Psalm words, which you probably have heard before, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Well, I didn't call that person a fool. The Holy Spirit of God did. He's saying that <clears throat> the person who says there is no God is simply a fool. Why is he a fool? Well, we'll see in just a moment. But that and several other Psalms and other passages of Scripture go on to explain to us how the evidence is always before us, how that God has, has not left himself uh, without evidence uh, so that we might know uh, that there is a God. But also in that 23rd Psalm, we saw that it's possible to understand him, to understand his word. And he told us to, to, to buy up the truth. He doesn't mean to go out and spend money for it, although if that's what it requires, go out and buy yourself a Bible. But he, he's saying gather it to yourself and hold on to it. Don't let it get away. But then he also said, and wisdom. The idea of wisdom and the idea of foolishness are opposites, aren't they? It's the fool who said there is no God. So get wisdom. Solomon would say to us numerous times in the scriptures, get understanding and get wisdom. What is the book? What does it say? How does it apply to me? Well, for the next few minutes, let us consider seven truths that wise men or women acknowledge. Now, may not obey, but if we are not complete fools, we have to acknowledge that these points are true. 
This isn't all the truth. I don't mean to suggest that these are the seven most important things to know about the Bible. There are other things that could be added to this list. But when we were in college, the teachers always told us three points in a poem. <laughs> and I've got seven points, so I'll try not to keep us until tomorrow. But here are seven points that we certainly should recognize. And these points are, that we'll discuss today, there is a God in heaven. Jesus Christ is his son. The Bible is his true and only word. Heaven and hell are real places. A judgment day is coming. And the church that is described in the New Testament, the church of Christ, is the only body of saved souls. And let's get into some of these points as we go along. In that 19th Psalm, <clears throat> to which I alluded just a moment ago, the scripture says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night to night shows knowledge. And there's no speech or language where that voice isn't heard. Their line has gone through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. What does he say? He said, if you're looking out there at the world around you, look up. And there's evidence of God. There's, there, there's a voice. There's a message speaking to you. Are you listening? Are you getting the message? Why is it that the sun rises in the east every day and sets in the west every day? And why? How many of you are wearing timepieces somewhere on your body, you know, in your pocket, in your cell phone? Or, we've got them all over the place. Hanging on the walls back there where the preacher can see it. I noticed that. I don't know how good it does to put a clock where the preacher can see it. But we, we govern everything by time. Well, what's time? Why do all the clocks say the same thing within a minute or two at least? Why isn't it 6 o'clock p.m. right now? All of that is based upon the observation that there's order, there's organization, there's system, there's plan in the universe around us. The simple fact that the rising and setting of the sun is predictable. Looking into the stars, at the skies at night and seeing the stars all arranged in the same place so that we can recognize constellations and we can say this one and that one. And they're always in the same place and they have been forever since they were created. That doesn't happen by accident. The heavens are speaking to us and telling us that there's a God in heaven. Somebody says, you know, that's in the Bible. That, that's, that's just religious talk. Look at it again. That would be true if the Bible didn't exist. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sun would rise in the east every morning if the Bible didn't exist, if Jesus had never been born. And the constellations would be right where they are. The universe around us is speaking to us. On our current journey, my wife and I recently visited in southwest Missouri the George Washington Carver National Memorial. 
what a life that man lived. Born in slavery and spent his childhood observing nature around him, rocks and plants, and trees and animals. He grew up to be a, uh, a world-renowned uh, botanist, uh, horticulturalist, agriculturalist, and uh, he gave uh, much advice and wrote many books and tracts and pamphlets uh, to teach farmers how to take care of their soil and get better uh, uh, results from their farming uh, operations. Mr. Carver said this. This is from one of the plaques on that memorial. I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. This man was not a Christian. This man was not trained in some Bible college somewhere. He didn't get his ideas from any theologian. He got his ideas from observing nature around him. When we turn to the New Testament, we read in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Why do we know that we can take a grain of corn and plant it in the ground and expect to harvest a corn crop? I'd rather have wheat this year, but all we've got left over from last year are these grains of corn, but I'll throw them in the ground and we'll harvest wheat in the summertime. Doesn't work that way, does it? Why do we know that we can put that seed in the ground and it's going to grow up into a stalk and produce fruit? And why does an apple tree always produce apples and a peach tree always produce peaches and on and on we could go? God has shown us in all of these things that he exists, that he is eternal, that he is powerful, that he is God. If we're observing, if we're paying attention. Mr. Carver <clears throat> became professor in Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, and he told his students, young people, I want to keep your, I want to beg of you always to keep your eyes open to what Mother Nature has to teach you. By so doing, you will learn many valuable things every day of your life. Now, we can see in the world around us that there is a God, and if we can't, then we're fools, and that's what we saw in the Psalms. But we don't know who that Creator is, we don't know what He expects of us. And that's where we turn to the Bible. And so we'll get into that as we move along. But the second truth that the wise acknowledge is that Jesus is his son. You know, there are many people in this world who recognize God in heaven and can argue it very eloquently and very convincingly and yet deny that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God. But the prophet Isaiah said, 
about 700 years before Jesus was born. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, a word which means God among us or God with us. Well, that's a pretty specific prophecy. A virgin shall conceive. Gary was talking in a class a while ago about miracles, one of the significant uh, rules or, uh, or definitions, explanation of a miracle is something that's against the laws of nature. That's against the law of nature. That doesn't happen, but if it happens, God is involved, right? Well, if we'll turn over to the New Testament and look in the book of Luke in chapter 1, and in verse number 30, we'll read that an angel said to Mary, don't, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. All those other points in that uh, comment from the angel were prophesied in the Old Testament. If all of those things happened, then Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, Mary said... How can this happen? I don't know a man. And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore that holy thing which is born of you will be called the Son of God. Here is a statement of, of fulfillment of prophecy. Before Jesus was born. Well, he was born, and he grew. And he came to John to be baptized in the Jordan River. And Matthew says at that time in chapter 3 and in verse 16 that Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Is Jesus the Son of God? Who spoke those words? It was a voice out of heaven. <clears throat> Here's Jesus on earth. Here's the Holy Spirit descending through the air. And here is a voice out of heaven saying, this is my son. The Bible clearly states to us that Jesus is the son of God. But Matthew was a Christian. Matthew was a great believer in God and a servant of God when he wrote those words. It wasn't only such people who recognized the evidence before them. When Jesus was crucified, when he died, the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost. He said, the Roman soldier who wasn't, so far as we know, a believer in God and certainly not a follower of Jesus, not a disciple of Jesus, said, this man truly was the Son of God. The evidence was so convincing so persuasive that even this enemy of Israel and for all intents and purposes an enemy of God recognized the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So there is a God in heaven. God truly exists. Jesus, as described in the Bible, is his only begotten Son. 
In the third place, the Bible is his only true word. Now, there's a controversial statement in some circles in this world. Well, God speaks to us this way, and God gave us this book, and maybe God did this, and maybe that. And... But this Bible that we have in our hands today is the only expression from God that is in the world. In Jeremiah chapter 1, when God called the young prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, don't, don't send me, I'm just a youth. You know, I'm too young to go do that kind of thing. And the Lord said to me, don't say I'm a child. You will go to all that I shall send thee, and whatever I command you, that you're going to speak. God spoke to Jeremiah and told Jeremiah what to go say. Many, many times we can read such statements in the Bible. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, at least 1,363 times by my count, and that's probably not all of them, claimed direct revelation. God told me to say this. These are the words of God. God said over 1,300 times. In Isaiah alone, 172 times. And Jeremiah himself, 470 times said, these are the words of God. This is what God told me to preach to you. The Bible is the word of God. Excuse me, I'm getting behind. There it is. In print. You can see it for yourself. 470 times, Jeremiah said, these are the words of God. When we turn to the New Testament... Peter said, the prophecy came not in old time, and he's talking about the Old Testament there, came not by the will of man. Men didn't just decide what to sit down and write, but men of God, holy men of God, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They wrote what the Holy Spirit of God told them to write. And you know that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Do you, believe, do you understand that that phrase is translated from a single Greek word, a compound Greek word, which simply says, it's God-breathed. The air that passes through the vocal cords and comes out in the form of words. God breathed. God spoke. All scripture. And Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Paul wrote scripture. <laughs> so even what Paul is writing here. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 11 to 13, Paul says, What I'm writing to you, I, I'm not writing words which man's wisdom teaches, but words which the Holy Spirit teaches. Holy Spirit of God was giving these men what to write. And they wrote the truth. The Bible is the work of God. God is the author. These other men did the pen work. But God is the author of these words. When we look through the Bible, rivers, seas, mountains, cities, roads, Everything is exactly where the Bible said it was. Civilizations, societies, people who lived. Sometimes some of those people, kings and such. We find actual evidence 
of those people being in that place and doing those very things which the Bible said they did. Things that are measurable, things we can go check. We find the Bible true in every single instance. The Bible is the word of God. There's a God in heaven. Wise will acknowledge that. Jesus is his only begotten son. And the Bible as we have it today is the only word that we have from God. The only way we know anything about what God wants us to do and what he has promised us, what he has warned us. I was going to say this at the beginning of this lesson. This is a good time for it. If you're not familiar with this, and I just, I wasn't familiar with it until we got here this morning, but Gary has written this series of lessons called Facts for Life. If you haven't studied through that course or haven't studied through it recently, I strongly recommend that you do so. This isn't exactly a duplicate of that lesson. It's along the same kind of lines. But there are some things that are just true, that are just facts. You're sitting on a chair. You're not hanging from the ceiling. Our world today, our society doesn't know what truth is. They don't know if they're men or women. They're a mess. But there are some things that are true whether men acknowledge it or not. But wise people acknowledge the truth. There is a God in heaven. Jesus is his only begotten son. The Bible is his true word. And heaven is a real place. Not just a dream, a concept, an idea, but it's a real place. John said, and John was given the opportunity to look and to see. He said there, were, there, were, there was the city. It had 12 gates. It had a street. There was no temple in it because God himself is the temple. The glory of God was the light of it. It didn't need the sun and the moon. John describes heaven for us. And then in continuing in Revelation chapter 21, he said there won't be a night there. Things are going to be different from the way they are here. And then he said, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, nor whatever works abomination or makes a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a place, as Jesus said, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those people who believe God, who believe that Jesus is his son, who trust his word and obey his word, those are the people who know. everybody wants to go to heaven when they think about the beauties and the glories that are there. There's no evil there. There are none of the hardships of, of, of age or, or illness. Everything is beautiful and perfect there, as Adam and Eve knew in the Garden of Eden until they sinned. Everybody wants to go to heaven. John describes a beautiful place we want to go to, but not everybody is going to be there. There are some who will not go. When Stephen, the disciple of Jesus and deacon of the church in Jerusalem, was being stoned to death for preaching the truth, the truth that those people didn't want to hear, when he said, 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They didn't want to hear that. You mean, no, I'm not a sinner. And they start throwing rocks at him, right? Stephen said, I looked up. I see the heavens opened. Where did we come to here? I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Stephen saw. John saw. Paul saw. He saw some things that he wasn't allowed to tell us, but John and Stephen saw some things they were allowed to tell us. There is a place called heaven. But on the other side, there is that called hell. Hell is a real place also. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in that lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Hell is a real place. Many people deny it in this world. I have talked with many who believe that there's a heaven, but said, now God is just too loving and gracious to send anybody into an eternity of unbearable suffering. But you know, the Lord himself puts heaven and hell in the same sentence at least five times in Scripture. And the description that we just read from Matthew chapter 25 describes both heaven and hell. Why would we believe one and not the other? Well, it's because we want one to be true, but we don't really want the other to be true. We want to be able to think that, you know, it's going to be okay. I remember when I was a kid in grade school. I had a friend who just loved to tell things he thought were funny. And he said there was this long line of people at the judgment day and some people at the back started hearing some roaring and applause and it kind of wafted back towards the end of the line and said, what's this all about? What, what's all the excitement? And somebody turned around and said, adultery isn't going to count. Well, that's what we want to believe, isn't it? My sin won't count against me because God's just too loving. It's going to count. Hell is a real place. God wants, to be, wants those to be with him eternally, only those who want to be there and do things his way. We put keys and locks on our doors to keep out the people we don't want to be there. And we've got rules on who can come in. We've got, we've got an idea or a plan of who we permit to come in. So does God into his house. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. And then, if that's true, it's only logical to suppose that a judgment day really is coming. If there are two destinations, if you're driving down a road and you come to a fork in the road, you have to make a judgment. Which way will I be going? Somebody may have told you, now when you come to the fork, go to the left. That was a judgment. He was telling you, you got to, if you want to reach the destination, this is the way you have to go. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Again, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, 
He's going to gather all the people before him, all the nations, all the people who will ever have lived are going to be gathered before him and he's going to separate them. That's a judgment, isn't it? Like a shepherd separating sheep from goats. And he's going to put one group over here and one group over there. And then the king is going to say to those on his right hand, come. And he's going to say to those on his left hand, depart. There's a judgment. And those who are departing are going into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. Jesus, the son of God, said that. In everything in which we can study and determine the accuracy of the Bible, those rivers and places and mountains and cities, we find the Bible to be absolutely, perfectly, precisely correct in everything. And the Bible tells us there's a heaven and there's a hell and there's a judgment day coming. We need to believe that. Because the wise acknowledge these truths. God's ultimate proof that a judgment day is coming is the resurrection of Jesus. Are you familiar with that passage in John chapter 17 where the Apostle Paul is preaching in uh, Athens, Greece? And he said, and the time, talking about how people used to live and how things, God allowed certain things that before the gospel was preached. And he says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The proof that a judgment day is coming is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, some are going to deny that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's another topic that we could study, could have put in this list. The Bible said it happened. There are witnesses outside the Bible who don't believe in God but nevertheless recognize that fact. But a judgment day is coming. Well, there is in the Bible just one theme. God created everything. The man that God created sinned against him and God promised a salvation. A salvation from the consequences of that sin for the wages of sin is death and then God prepared the coming of that salvation and then God provided that savior that salvation and then he prescribed what we are to do about it that's why we have the Bible so that we know these things and more specifically and to the point we know what he wants us to do about it. And so the seventh fact or truth that the wise acknowledge is that the church of Christ, that is the church which Christ built, as described in the New Testament, prophesied in the Old Testament, that church, this church, is the only body of the saved. 
anywhere in the world or ever will be. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, you know, I will build my church. Hell isn't going to prevent it. I'm going to build my church. And then we come to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. We read that the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were being saved. We need to back up. That's the last verse in Acts chapter 2. We need to back up and find out. He's adding the saved to the church. Well, who are the saved? And how do you get to be in that group? In chapter 2 of Acts and in verse number 36, Peter said, This Jesus whom you crucified is the Lord. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Savior of the world. And they said, well, what should we do now? We've killed him. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Everybody, everywhere. Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That message is one message to everybody, everywhere, all the time. And Peter said, so the responsibility is now yours. You know the facts. You know the truth. So he said, save yourselves. He didn't mean go make up a plan. I'm going to be saved this way and you can be saved that way. He said, here's the truth. Here are the facts. Here's what God requires. Now you have got the responsibility to make the decision. I can't be saved for you. Your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your neighbor, the elders can't be saved for you. That's on you. You've got to do that yourself. And so they who gladly received that word were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of the apostles, what the apostles taught. That was what they continued in. And in fellowship, the oneness, the companionship that they had with one another. And in the breaking of bread and in prayers, in the worship, they worshiped together according to the instructions of God through the apostles. And the apostles continued to work the miracles to, to continue to prove to the people that this is in fact the truth. And so they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart and praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who was added to the church? Those who believe that there's a God in heaven, that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, that the Bible is his only true word, that heaven and hell are real places, that a judgment day is coming, and that the church which Jesus built is the only body that's saved. We don't ask people to come and join the church. We ask people to come and believe in Jesus Christ and repent from sin, that he might save you from the consequences of your sin. And he will add you to the church. You will then be in fellowship with all those who are going to heaven. There are at least these seven truths that we should consider carefully this morning. There is a God in heaven. Jesus is his son. The Bible is his only true word. Heaven and hell are real places. A judgment day is coming. 
and the church which Jesus built, this church of Christ which we know in the world today, in which we sit today, is the only body to which the Lord himself adds the saved. There are no saved anywhere else. The Lord put us in his church. There may be some saved somewhere who don't realize that they may have done everything the Bible tells them to do and they don't realize, though it would be hard to come to this point, there may be who don't realize that the Lord put them into his church. But they're in it as long as they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so what's the conclusion? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, good behavior, conduct of life, his works with meekness of wisdom. Are you wise? Take action upon the word of God. And if we can assist you in any way to make your life, bring your life more into the pleasure of God. You're not a Christian. You can be baptized into Christ today. All you need to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God and repent from your sins. Confess your faith in him and we'll baptize you into Christ. Having done that, if you have drifted away and forgotten your focus on Christ, given up some of your wisdom and began to follow after the so-called wisdom of the world and need to be brought back into proper fellowship with Christ, won't you please do that right now while we stand and while we sing? I have decided.